You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years at all. This is America's Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Popko of Coach St. Luke's favorite show, Beth Israel, Beth Aaron. Um, but Rabbi Popko, let's talk, let's start today uh, across the ocean, a country that's always close to our hearts here. So um, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, smoke and angry words about what sort of government Netanyahu was planning on. <laughs> well, I think there's there's at least three separate issues here. Number one issue, not in any order of of, of priority, just three th- three issues that, that I think are important to think about. Number one, um, and by far not the most important, but certainly important, uh, what does this government mean for relations, let's say, with the U.S.? Number two, what does this new government mean for the continued uh, loyalty and devotion of American Jews uh, to the state of Israel. I think that's an important issue to discuss. And the third issue, of course, is the internal sociological dynamic uh, in Israel. So let's talk about the last one first in the style of the Gemara. We'll start about the last one first. So you have a uh, you have a a government uh, dominated by Likud numerically, but as we are all familiar by now with the Israeli system, what is considered uh, what would be considered in other Western countries a marginal uh, minority party in Israel they have they wield outsized influence and power due to the coalition uh, government and they hold you know the balance of power and therefore they can extract from Likud. Um, the commitment. So in the past, you know, what did the Haredim want? Uh, in the past, what the Haredim wanted was uh, more funding for uh, their communities, either in the form of direct subsidies for yeshiva education or greater welfare benefits uh, for families with, with kids. Uh, and they wanted uh, military exemptions uh, for yeshiva students. And generally, whether it was a labor government or a Likud government, we're talking about the distant past when we talk about labor, labor government, Likud government, they were able to extract these kinds of commitments because these were commitments that were non-ideological in some ways. What I mean mean by non-ideological, they didn't affect the life of most Israelis directly, although it might have cost them more in taxes. And it was, uh, you know, benefits, partisan benefits for, for the Haredi community. Now it seems that there have been rumors or intimations that the Haredi parties are asking for things that will have a much greater impact. You know, there is some stuff about electricity generation on Shabbat, which again, I don't think anybody serious thinks will happen. Electricity. I can't believe what they were saying is that we should shut off uh, all <laughs> electric uh, grids and, and power stations on Shabbos. I don't think that's what they were talking about. Were they talking about using some sort of technological uh, discovery? Right, to make it more automatic or whatever, yeah. Right. In other words, they were talking about aligning it. And, and we all know that there are these, uh, whether it's Machon Lev or 
Right, right. You know, they have these ways that it technically won't be the same amount of... Right, but again, again, they seem... Again, all I'm saying is they're pushing the envelope. They're going beyond, part, you know, sectarian uh, requests or demands to things that will, you know, that, that have a, a broader reach in Israeli society. Right. You know, I... But, 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 but I, th- I, I think that, it, 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 again, I'm trying to don them the cops loose that it isn't like, hey, you can't rule without us, so therefore we want our pound of flesh. I think maybe what they wanted to push was investigating the possibility of, of having it happen in a way that wouldn't take a tremendous toll from the site. I think people, you know- No, no, you're right. It becomes more of a symbolic issue. That's of, what I mean. I think- of, 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 of trespassing on a domain that is not theirs. Right. So, so I think the fact even that it was leaked that this is what they wanted, or maybe they made it public, right away generates the ire. Like, who do they think they are? And Netanyahu has to come and, and, and say that right. we're, not, we're not having a local state. And right. I, think this, I think the same thing is true when you talk about like having areas of beaches, like they want more beaches that they right. could go, they could go with swimming. Like, like we know that's not a huge thing, right? To be able to, to, to have more uh, private beaches. I mean, I, as far as I know, the only separate beach in Israel is Netanya, no? Well, look, I, you know, I haven't been in a while, but I can tell you that... I uh, thought you were, weren't you a lifeguard for a time on the Netanya beach? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, Hasselhoff invited me because he <laughs> wanted to have he wanted to have a franchise. He figured it wasn't enough, California. He figured, let's have Tel Aviv as well. But uh, look, you know, I told him that, look, if, if I couldn't have a night Rider with me on the <laughs> beach, I didn't want to do it. Like I said, like, you know, Hasselhoff... Here is that the issues that are gonna be the most divisive are, are not gonna end up being electricity or separate beaches. The issue is uh, on the law of return, right. you're the grandchildren, that, that that clause, which wasn't always the case, was changed. I mean, to go through the history of the law of return and, and the amendments and the Supreme Court decisions would take 17 shows. But right now what they're demanding is that the immigration be, be limited to uh, 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 you, you know, uh, in a way which would exclude people that are now allowed, the grandchildren of Jews. Uh, are, 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 listen, you know, my, my view I've, I've articulated earlier on this show, which is uh, that, you know, I, I don't think we need a halacha criteria at all. Let the rabbis in Israel grapple with weddings the same way rabbis around the world do and figure it out on their own. You know, you know what's interesting about Israel, and I find this on the left and the right, you know, when, when somebody doesn't have something, they imagine that if only they had this, it would solve all their problems. For 2,000 years, we couldn't make laws. Now we have a country, we can make laws. So both the left and the right think that no matter what problem arises in society, it can be addressed in the Knesset. Now, that's not how healthy societies behave. Healthy societies believe that government has its place, and some problems are, can be solved in the private sector. But here they need a law for everything. You know, the left has the same impulse as the right. The religious and the secular share that same impulse. Pass a law. If you pass a law, it'll save everything. So uh, they want to pass a law. So uh, I I think changing the grandfather clause would certainly harm relations with the Asper jury for whom it's a red flag. Uh, The other, some of the parties are also demanding a closure, what's called the egalitarian section at the wall. It's a section most people who go to the wall don't even notice. It's on their way, you know, uh, uh, from uh, 
from Sharashput. It's on the right there in the archaeological digs, far away from everybody else. They want to even close that down. Forget about outlawing women at the wall. You can have the power to shut down things you don't like, but is that really a victory? And 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 does it end up really helping you in the in the long term? And just because you don't like the women at the wall or or don't like the egalitarian section, is law really the best way to close this down if you don't like it? Or or maybe tolerating it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean, Rabshel Salanter, when he was in Russia and the Hungarian rabbis issued a chaim against the reform movement, uh, you know, Rabshel Salanter said, you know, I, you know, I thought, yes, and I can't, he said, I can't judge the Hungarian rabbinim. But if somebody opened a temple where I am, I would sit outside on a table and share in a black kamal and talk to the Jews. I mean, is the, is, is the cudgel of law and prohibition the best way to deal with everything? Did the chayim against the reform movement help? I mean, you know, it's you know, it's you know, I don't know if the you know if people learn enough from history to understand this or to learn. I actually believe that the koiso can't really be returned to what is in our collective memories of this this place that all the tefillahs of Klal Yisrael uh, were laid to the Rabbi Shalom, and it was this pristine area. The Kaiso is, you go there at midnight, it's lit up like 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 like, like Jerry Jones's uh, Dallas Cowboy Stadium. You know what I'm saying? It's like Texas Stadium. It's not really, this is really my point. Uh, it, it is, a, of course you want to go to the Kaiso and you want to be able to dive there. But it's already, the, the, the genie's out of the bottle. It's not going to be turned into this pristine, like like area of Kedusha, right near where the Beis Amikdosh is. It's already not that. Um, it, it's, it's a place where people mill around, where people schmooze, where people go for photo ops. Uh, it, it, I mean, yeah. if you look at it on a Monday, any Monday and Thursday morning, it is a complete zoo of bar mitzvahs and traffic jams. That, 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 that's what I mean. It, it doesn't, it isn't like, oh, this is the, I, I agree it's a Mokum Kodesh, and I agree it was an Irish Kriya when I went there. However, it's even if they're able to uh, assert certain rules, and stop the egalitarian minion, and there can't be a reform minion or something like that, or there can't whatever it is. It's still not the place of of of, of, of sublime uh, places of, of of contemplation and. No, I listen. I, I listen. I think you know. I, I love going to the Kaisel. I, I it depends when you go. There are times of the day where it's still a wonderful experience. There are times of the week where it's still a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. Friday, Friday night is still overwhelmingly inspiring and beautiful to Kaisal. Or, or going and going uh, at the t- of dawn, going right. to the Vasikan Minyonim. Right. And though, those, that's not where the egalitarians and the reform no. want to be anyway. So no, what, I'm, no, what, I'm, no. what, what I'm saying is, is that... There are no, by the way, there's never been an egalitarian Vasikan Minyon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they called it something else. I don't know. They... <laughs> no, the point is, Haredim absolutely should have not just the freedom, but the support to to be able to maintain the integrity and authenticity of uh, of, of Orthodox lifestyle, of Haredi lifestyle, however you want to want to call it. But when they when they begin to try to dictate to others, that's where you have the problem. When they try to change 
a criteria in, uh, in practice that affects everybody, that's where you have a problem. And that's where they end up trying to do things that I think end up hurting their own position. Which really, I think, and we're going to get to the other first two points that you made, but I think what, what we, they don't understand, but we do, because we come from the diaspora, is there's always going to be a higher standard held to the Froom world, the Haredi world, and you can't say tit for tat. You can't say, well, you guys, when you guys were in power, you, you made this law against us. You know what? We have to be civil. No, you'd be hard, like, I bet again, in the last 75 years of Israel's existence, you'd be hard pressed to find any legislation passed by any government that was, that was directed to undermine the Haredi community. Unless you believe that any attempt to try to in, uh, enlist uh, Haredim into the army as an attack on that community, you know, you can make a strong argument that's just simple, you know, burden sharing. You know, and, uh, you know, as the Rambam will tell you, and, you know, that it's the obligation of everybody to participate in the collective self-defense. And it's certainly hard to convince a normal person that participating in the defense of a Jewish state is somehow under, you know, is, is somehow uh, unhalachic. Look, but what I'm saying is we're used to not being in power here in, in diaspora. We whisper to the ears of politicians. We try to uh, chisel out uh, a little bit of an enclave where we could produce and we could be left alone. And we're able to make our mitzvahs and we're able to have certain symbolic events. And Eretz Yisrael, because, hey, I'm a citizen, this, we're part of the government. Therefore, they roll up their sleeves and they get as angry uh, as the other side. Okay, but the other thing, listen, they're always about, the debates are always whataboutism. You know, when you talk to Haredim about the army, they'll talk about all the secular Jews that get exempt from the army. They'll talk about the yeshiva money. Well, what about what the universities get? You know, but what we've learned from history in the last couple of hundred years is that those religious groups that have been able to wield secular authority are those religious groups that end up in, in, in decline, that where where in the countries where the churches had power, the churches are now empty. In the countries where the churches didn't have power, that's where the churches are full. That's the reality. And uh, and and America would never granted religious uh, uh, institutions uh, secular authority, and it's the most religious country in the in, in the Western world. We know that Iran, which has enforced Islamic law more than any uh, country in the in the Middle East is the place where the young people are most secular. It undermines the, the position. The, diff, the problem is, you know, we had Parshas Vayishlach last week and uh, everyone, you know, there's all these famous stories about using uh, Vayishlach as the template for all of our encounters with the uh, non-Jewish world, you know, praising at least some of Russia. I'm not gonna hold Russia, like, you know, the Chazal about Rebid Hanasi and how he addressed Antoninus, how he rips up the letter where his secretary writes from Judah the prince and 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 Yudanasi corrects it to Avdecha Yehuda right about appeasement and how to curry favor, you know pejoratively you can call it obsequiousness, but it's the way we had to navigate life as a threatened minority where you know uh, and and Yushtadlanus and everything else. The tragedy of Israel is for the Haredi community is that they approach the Jewish state. The same way they approached any government in history. That means the government is not the repository of your values. It's simply a place to get your interests served. 
And when they begin to have a dramatically expansive view of what their interests are, right, and trying to enforce uh, their way of life on others, that's where they end up really hurting themselves. And, and, and they are sacrificing the long-term standing of, of, of religious Jews in Israel for, short, for short-term exercise of power. Right. And it's and as I think as we've said over and over here, it's oh, it's, it's even um, the articulation is the problem more than it is practically getting it done. Even the articulation ends up generating the type of uh, antipathy towards the from world, and that's it's too bad. Um, also, and, there's this idiotic idea in Israel articulated again by the Rishon LeZion that somehow the conservative reform movement are a threat. They're not a threat. We're talking about, I mean, we're talking about a 90-pound weakling on the Jewish stage, right? The conservative movement's in steep decline. The reform movement's in decline. They never facilitated assimilation or intermarriage. They never did. They accommodated it. To claim that the conservative reform movement created assimilation into marriage is to give them too much credit. They didn't do anything like that. They had no impact. Let's talk about one and two, the way you started uh, today, in terms of where this government will be vis-a-vis the United States and, as you said, uh, towards diaspora Jewry in general. All right. With With the caveat that none of us have a crystal ball. Number one, we are very lucky that Iran has uh, has it has imposed upon itself some very profound self-inflicted wounds of late. Number one, uh, going, uh, you know, uh, joining the, uh, you know, uh, with, with the Russians and helping the Russians and sending the missiles, Russian, uh, sending them, the Russians missiles and drones have certainly undermined their standing in Washington and made the atmosphere much, much less palatable for any imagined deal, deal on nuclear weapons. As well, the internal dissent uh, in, in, in Iran is persisting, where many experts are now imagining that these demonstrations could actually uh, be the first step in, in, in regime change, and therefore the Iran issue may be off the table. In addition to that, when I say the Iran issue, that means America wanting to have a new deal, deal with Iran that would enrage uh, the Israeli government. On the other, and also in addition to that, there are more and more reports from Washington that there has even been discussions between Israeli and American leaders about a potential assault, military assault on Iranian nuclear sites. There was a drill held last week, a joint air Air force drill between the two two air forces simulating a raid on on Iran. So 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 one of the big problems that existed between Bibi and Obama was the nuke deal. If that's off the table, what will be the points of conflict between uh, Israel and America potentially in, the, in a new government? One could be the demand of the non-Haredi religious party, right? Smotrich, where he's demanding uh, that some of the illegal settlements be made legal, where he is demanding some changes on the Temple Mount. And certainly those are hot button issues there are people in the Biden administration who continue to live in a fantasy world about the Palestinians and about a two-state solution and uh, and all of these things and needing to strengthen the Palestinian Authority and all these other, the, you know, the foolishness of the 90s that's, uh, that, that continues to linger. 
uh, and, and th- those issues could be a serious point of conflict. I mean, uh, no matter what you listen, you and I both grew up at a time where no from Jew went up to the Temple Mount, right? And uh, uh, and there were signs warning people they couldn't go up there. The sign was damaged; it was never replaced, even, which is just you know a, a sideline to this issue. But the point is that making the Temple Mount an issue is something which has the potential to blow up the Abraham Accords, has a real potential to inflame, and not everything that is right is smart. And the question is, is it really wise to hand, uh, now you and I can agree, and I agree, you know, that the only, that it's insane that Jews don't have complete freedom on the Temple Mount. The only restriction on religious freedom in Israel is against, is prohibiting Jews from being on the Temple Mount. And all of those things are right and good, but it is certainly a, a hot a hot issue. And that could certainly inflame tensions between an Israeli and American government if the status quo on the Temple Mount is changed, because that would drive the Jordanians and the Saudis crazy, and it would could inflame, uh, it, it could provide a pretext, not that they necessarily need one, but they would provide a pretext for Hamas to launch missiles as the Temple Mount has in the past. So I'm not sure just because something's right, whether it's smart or not. Um, and and again, I, I hate to in any way surrender to the to the status quo where Jews are denied uh, some religious freedoms. But on the other hand, you know, when you're sitting in, in the prime minister's office and you have to think about all the, the repercussions of doing the right thing, it may not look that smart. Um, I would just add, just re- repeating what I said before, even if there would be a way uh, to legislate and then would allow, you know, according to halacha, you go to the mikvah, whatever it is, that you're able to go to that area. I still don't believe that the symbolic significance of davening in that place is going to change Klal Yisrael. You know, again, you're able to, to open up your heart and give yourself to God in many places in Eretz Yisrael. Um, and that's why, as you say, you're frustrated that we can't be up there. But I, I think you have to ask yourself realistically, is that the reason why that there's there's a problem with us spiritually because we can't get up to the, the harabayas and we can't allow people who are uh, somewhat tar uh, to be able uh, to roam there. It seems to be again just another one of these. Also, given victories. that we live in a world where it's so easy to get to Uman, who needs harabayas? <laughs> but again, you know, it, 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 <laughs> we it it, it really. You know, I, as you say, whether it's Yisrael Salant or sitting outside of a, uh, a, a, a reformed temple and teaching Gemar, or it's Rebel Yashiv, who, who's in, in a little house in Meir Sharem, uh, giving shiurim. I mean, to me, that's that was Dashros Hashkina as well. Rebel Yashiv, every single day, until he was 100 years old, or it was, right. giving, giving his Dafyomi shir to 50 people and, and, and saying it over with a Gishmak, with a Nigun. Can anyone deny that that isn't Kodesh HaKadoshim? No, but uh, listen, part of the problem with people like Smotrich and particularly Ben Gavir is they live in a world where you have to you have to show. You have to show you it's yours. You have to, and that's a very much, to me, a diaspora thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're sovereign in the land for 75 years. Thank God. A great thing has happened. You don't have to keep worrying about making a point. 
Who are you making a point for? You don't have an audience of Gentiles next door. No, you have. You don't have to make a point. You have to do what's right and what's smart and for, for the long-term safety and security of the citizens of the state of Israel so that they continue to lead beautiful lives, hopefully in a place where, 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 where Yiddishkeit flourishes and Jewish creativity is unleashed in ways that can benefit the entire world. Yeah, and, and to go, I said, you have to do this to show them that's how Jews in Brooklyn talk. That's not how Jews in Israel talk. Whether you talk to APAC people or anybody else involved in Israel advocacy in Europe and Australia and North America, they are deeply concerned about what this government means for their ability to advocate for Israel in the halls of power. What I mean by that is, rightly or wrongly, the arguments that we always made over the last decades in defense of Israel is that Israel is a sister democracy, a liberal democracy, and the inclusion of these personalities that do not seem to be emblematic of the liberal Western tradition, right, uh, that will try to enact laws that seem to diverge from the liberal Western tradition, whether it's the Supreme Court override, where I happen to think they're right. I mean, when I say they, I mean, you know, the, you know, uh, the idea of overriding a Supreme Court decision is not freakishly absurd. You know, the, the British do it, the Canadians do it, so it's not so crazy. Uh, but you know, when they when they want to enact a host of laws that seem to be out of the liberal Western tradition, and they have personalities out of, that are certainly not part of the liberal Western tradition, it makes the the work of advocates for Israel uh, more difficult. There's no question, uh, and, and that's just uh, that's just the reality. Um, the other uh, reality, and, and, and as you say, it's it's not only the, the what actually is being said by uh, Bibi's coalition mates, but it's also by all the opinion writers who are out there, you know, now labeling this. Uh, oh, for this sure, government. No, all that hurts. I mean, I mean, they think it's the cleric and and South Africa. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, until now, the American government has taken the position, and hopefully, and I think Jews are waiting, keeping their powder dry. Except a couple of organizations already denounced this government, the impending government, I should say. But uh, they're waiting to see how it will behave, not based on the biographies and the history of the people involved. And and if Bibi can rein in their in their worst impulses, uh, that then I think we, we can dodge that bullet. The other issue is, and again. The cynics will say that it's already happened, but uh, the attachment of, of, of American Jews to Israel uh, is an issue. It's important. It's important for the unity of Klai Israel. It's important for the political cloud of Israel in Washington and other Western capitals, the degree to which uh, American or diaspora Jews in general identify with the state of Israel is, is, is still an important uh, uh, matter. And whether or not a government that includes these people or enacts these 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 Haredi generated policies or right wing generated policies uh, that that could get that could alienate diaspora Jews uh, even further, let's say, from the state of Israel, and uh, and that's not something anyone uh, should be happy about. Yeah, well, like as you said, I think there's already been enough uh, injection of of you know I guess woke mentality into many of the the J Street uh, supporters that no country, you know, no government uh, would would they be happy for? I think. I mean, you had this absurd thing a couple of days ago. No one noticed it, but uh, Kevin McCarthy, the incoming Senate Majority or the 
possible. Incoming Senate Majority Leader talked about removing Ilhan Omar from her committee assignments, which is certainly legitimate. This woman's an anti-Semite. And who defended her? The Reform Action Committee, uh, J Street, and a couple other, like Trua, you know, the extreme left Jewish organizations, which is insane, obviously insane. But, um, and, and so, yes, on, for, for a swath of American Jews, the alienation has happened. The question well, I mean, is... You remember Peter Baynard, Peter Baynard, I think his name He's is. a miserable... Right, right. But you remember, he was the editor of the New Republic for a while, and he came out with this big essay saying that we that it should not even be a Jewish state, right? Right. That right. He felt that this is this was the answer. It wasn't about the two-state solution. It was actually deconstructing the Jewish state, right? And and, and I think he got. I, I think you know the fact that people like him. Uh, I don't know if they have a megaphone, but there's many left-wing Jews who agree with him as well. Um, and and you know, I think that's been true for a while. So I don't, yeah, no, it, no. So the question is. You know, the, the left certainly is gone. But the question is, what do you what, what's with the center? And if um, the normal, you know, American Jew living in a suburb of Detroit or Chicago or New Jersey, you know, begins to look at Israel as some kind of bizarre expression of 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 of, uh, of Haredi uh, uh, life or right wing life, you know, it, it can alienate. There's no question. It's an alienating experience. Yeah, it could be. Uh, again, I, I think if you if you if you just look around what's happening in all the governments of the world, there's a lot of bizarre things starting with the United States and extending. I, I don't know about Canada, but definitely uh, some of the other major major countries, whether it's whether it's Russia, China, uh, or England, the United States. There's so much bizarre type of uh, di- uh, sort of statements and, and and weird things happening. So I'm not sure if. If I agree with you that, oh, if they're going to hear what's going on in Israel, they're going to stop supporting it. I think everybody realizes that we, we're living in a terrible echo chamber. Uh, let's end today. You know, I, I've gotten some uh, people have always told us, I love it when you guys talk about sports, because that seems to be the only thing you guys really know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> people say, yeah, yeah, everything else is all, you know, shut from the Someone, someone uh, uh, wrote in last week and said, I was very happy to hear Rabbi Pupko say that I don't really know anything about this, uh, about Bitcoin. <laughs> Hopefully, the, maybe the people who arrested him down in the Bahamas understand that it would have been better. I don't know. Um, but uh, let's end today with, uh, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the beautiful game. We talked a little bit about the World Cup. It seems like the World Cup is generating quite a bit of interest despite the... Listen, I, listen the final is not going to be France against Argentina. So, you know, as a Jew, you have to look at each country's record to determine who to root for. You know, with the French, you got the Vichy regime and their collaboration with the Nazis. With the Argentinians, you have to deal with the grapple with their uh, cover-up after the, uh, uh, exp- you know, the bombings of the Israeli embassy. And, the, and how about all the, the Nazis? That, how about all the Nazis that found and the Nazi And all the Nazis they hit. So it's a tough call who to root for in the anti-Semitism in France today. So looking at it through a purely Jewish prism, who do you vote? Who do you root for between France and Argentina? And I think the answer is very simple: you root for injuries. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, and we, we can't root for a tie either. I guess that would not. Uh, no, the World Cup, the World Cup, that doesn't work. Um, I will say that uh, uh, you know it, I think it, it is great when you have a World Cup, two diff, very different types of uh, communities or from different hemispheres. I think that's part of the reason why. 
it's much more exciting than let's say a, a, a Super Bowl that pits the New England Patriots against the New York Giants. Yeah, 200 miles down the turnpike. But I oh, don't boy. understand how soccer at all. I don't understand how a player can be great when the score is 2 nothing. What, he scored twice? Like, what does that do for me? I, I don't understand the whole game. Great player. They won one nothing. They won on a penalty shot. What does that even mean? You're so great, you know, do something. What a great. They're running around and they're got because I, I don't understand <laughs> the whole thing. Well, if we want to talk again about uh, you know, the Argentines and the and the French, uh, I guess the Argentines, if they do lose, they can always uh, take sucker and support that uh, about their tremendous uh, showing in the Falkland War. Right? Or, did they lose? <laughs> did they lose that war? I don't remember. Yes, Some... they absolutely lost that. Oh, war. Oh, they lost that war. Oh, it was a great military. So much want to be not just some South American. Don't country. cry for me, Argentina. Well, Juan Perón and Eva Perón are really part of that same uh, phenomena of a country that believes itself to be the aristocracy of the southern hemisphere. They right. they don't can they they Hasfashalam, you should call them Bolivians or Uruguayans. They are not part of some yeah. uh, uh, leftover own. Indians. They consider themselves as cultured as anything on the European continent. And look, I, I have to give them one thing. They did get Borges. Uh so he he sort of saves Argentina for me. Uh Jorge Luis Borges. Uh, he was, I, I always incorporate him as my honorary Jew. So we'll end this show hopefully with a good out screaming goal. See you, everybody. Take care. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 